0: All right, if, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, which I hope you do, let me see them, okay? Let me see your Bible. Put them up in the air. Let me see them, let me see them, let me see them. Okay, friends, this is the greatest story that has ever, that has ever been told that's hardly ever told in its entirety. This book, right? 66 different books, 40 authors. Three languages written on three continents over the span of 2,000 years, and it tells one story. Hey, do you realize how, how bananas that is, right? If somebody started writing a story, you know how time works? There's like B, C, and A, D, right? Time was split. If somebody started writing a story in 22 A.D., which Jesus, give or take a few years, was in his 20s, right? Jesus was probably about 22-ish, 22, 26, something like that. If somebody started writing a story at that point in time, and then over the last 2000 years in 2022, the story was finished and there were four different authors or or, sorry, there were 40 different authors and they wrote down 66 different books in three different languages, Let's just go English, Chinese, and Arabic. And they wrote in Asia and in uh, North America and in Europe and then in 2022, the story was finished, and you opened it up and read it, and it told one single story, we would all go, what? How is that possible? That, Huh? It started 2,000 years ago and was written down by 40 different people who didn't know each other? And they tell one single story, how is that possible? And the only answer is that this book wasn't necessarily just penned by man. Was it written by man? Yes, but it was inspired by God. The Bible tells us about itself that it was breathed, it was God breathed, that it's useful for correcting, for teaching, for rebuking, for training in righteousness. That this book that we hold in our hands, that I hope this week, if you leave with nothing else, that this week that you take this thing home and every time you open it, every time you read it, you realize that this book isn't God itself, but it tells us about the God of the universe that reveals himself to us. And the entire Bible can be summed up like this. God with us. That God desires to be with us. And friends, if he revealed himself to us, through this text, my hope is, is that we have a desire to read it. One of the most uh, awesome experiences of my life and equally convicting experiences of my life, I got to run, um, are you guys having a good week at camp? Okay. This place Hume is awesome and me and my dad, we got to run for a couple of years, we had to run this thing called Hume International and we would take Hume style camps and we would pack it up in a bunch of duffel bags and then we would fly around the world and we would put on camp for kids that couldn't come here to Hume. We would go to them and we'd put on camp and I got to be in this place called Papua New Guinea and it's like this tiny little island off the coast of Australia and in Papua New Guinea, there's a a bunch of people groups there that still don't have the Bible written in their language. They can't open up the Bible and read about Jesus in their own language. And so what these missionaries will do is they'll, they'll fly in, they'll move into their, their villages and they'll learn their verbal languages. They'll actually create a written language and then they'll start translating the Bible into their language so that they can read it in their language. Can you imagine not being able to read this book in your own language? But most of us, we have multiple copies of it. We go like, oh yeah, like I, I got a couple of Bibles. Did you bring it to camp? Oh, I kind of forgot. Right? Like, like sometimes we just we leave it on the shelf and we just go, eh, it's just it's a Bible for sure. But friends, one of the coolest experiences of my life is I got to watch this video of a tribe receiving not the Bible, one book of the Bible. They got the book of Mark translated into their language, and they had this entire festival. For receiving one book of the Bible in their language, and so they could read the gospel. That word gospel means? Weak sauce! That word gospel means? Good news. good news! And they opened up the good news in their own language, and they literally threw this huge party because they had one book of the Bible. Friends, and it was the coolest experience for me, but also super convicting because I can open the Bible anytime I want and read it in my language. And there's sometimes days that go by that I just go like eh. I just take for granted that I have this book. I take for granted the fact that there is this God that we talked about on day one. That in Genesis chapter one it says, in the beginning God created, which we know and understand that he, by the nature of being in the beginning, pre-existed time, right? We've talked about this. That all creation flowed from him. The Bible calls him holy, which means set apart. In Exodus, when a guy named Moses asks God what his name is, he just simply says, I am, which is the coolest statement of all time. No one else can say that. No one else can just go, I am. Y'all are junior hires, which means in like three to four years from now, you'll look back on your junior high years and go, oh my gosh right? What was I, like leaders, can I just get an amen, right? Like you look back on your junior high years and you just go, oh my, what was I wearing, right? Like why did my parents let me out of the house with that? Like there's just so much that you look back on, like we're ebbing and flowing as human beings, we change, our character changes, and yet the God of the Bible, he says, I am, I am constant, I always have been, I always will be, And day one, we got to talk about the truth that there is this God. Day two, we talked about this book and the truth of this book, that it's fast, that it's final, it's authoritative, it's sufficient, it's trustworthy. And then last night, we talked about Jesus, that there is this God who desired to be with us so much that he sends his one and only son. And in John chapter 114, remember this? The word, who's the word? Jesus. Jesus, good. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. God loved us so much that he chose to be with us. And tonight I want to talk about why did Jesus come? Why did he come and walk this earth? What was his purpose in coming? Why was he here? And we're going to look straight in the book of John, and I want to see why does Jesus say that Jesus was here? Okay, so open up to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, that's where we're going to start tonight. Hey, John chapter 8. Um, I'm, a, I'm a, an uncle, anybody else an uncle in here? Uncle, aunt, okay? And I was an uncle long before I was a dad. I, I have 12 nephews and nieces, so my siblings are very busy. My sister Amber, my sister Amber has five kids, um, and my sister Natalie has four kids, and then my brother has three boys. And so whenever we're together, Whenever we're all together for like Thanksgiving, Christmas, like we gather, we try to gather like once or twice a year because we live all spread out. My sisters are up in Washington. My brother's over in Kansas City. Um, and, and my wife and I, Paige and I, we're, we're down in San Diego. And so, but when, whenever we get all together, it's just like sheer chaos. The oldest is nine. So there's 13 kids under nine. So it's like herding cats. It's just like, you just put them in, you like move the couches all together and just put them in the middle and you just go like, don't die, okay, like that's stay alive, let's get out of this weekend with 13 kids, because we came in with 13 kids, and it's, it's so fun, but I remember uh, this last year, I was, I was hanging out up at my sister's house, and the best part about being an uncle is you get to fly into town, and you get to bring like, all the presents and whatnot, and you get to have a blast, and you have no responsibility, like none of it falls on you. You just get to be the fun guy. And like when they're acting out, when they're like screaming their heads off, when they're being like, like, like all that stuff, I just go like, not my kid, right? Like I, not my responsibility. And it's like Piper, oh, that's my kid, right? Gotta go be dad. But with, when I'm uncle, it's just pure fun. And so I was sitting at my sister's house and we're hanging out and I'm like leaning back in this lazy boy chair, of course, like uncles do. And I'm watching this scene unfold in my sister's kitchen. And my sister Amber is, she's like super mom. She's like bouncing one kid on her hip. She's like homeschooling her other kids. She's like cooking them dinner for that night, like while preparing breakfast. And then just like, ev- there's so much going on. And I'm like, how do you, how do you, like I have one kid, and she dominates me, like it's just, I'm like constantly like, ah, what's going on, and she has five, and she's just this super mom, and so she's like bouncing one kid on her hip, and we're talking, we're just kind of catching up, uh, I'm I'm really close with my siblings, close with my family, and so Amber and I are chatting, and then I I see my my niece, Emma, she starts walking over to the countertop, and she's like reaching up on the countertop for her sippy cup, and my niece, Emma, is like all things pretty and pink, princess, like always has a tiara on, pink tutu, nails done, like homegirls, she's like a, she's a queen. And so, yes queen, yes queen, okay? So my niece Emma, my niece Emma, she's like waddling up to the countertop and she's she's reaching for her pink sippy cup, of course. And as she's reaching for her pink sippy cup, she almost has it, and right before she grasps this pink sippy cup, my sister Amber, super mom, bouncing baby on her hip, she turns and she goes, oh no, Emma. And she grabs the sippy cup and she snatches it away from Emma. Now if you know anything about toddlers, and especially like pretty and pink princess toddlers, when Emma didn't get what Emma wanted, when Emma wanted it, how Emma wanted it, World War III would have been more tolerable, right? Like, like this moment, I'm sitting in my chair, I'm sitting in my chair, and like Emma's Emma's right here. Emma's right here, like reaching for her sippy cup, and she's like, uh, uh, reaching for it, and then she doesn't get it, it gets snatched away, and then she's like, she does a thing. You know when kids are, you know when kids are like silent, they do the like silent scream and then let out the actual scream? She does this like stomp, and then it's like and I'm like, oh, here it comes, right? I'm like, I'm Uncle sitting in my chair, and Homegirl just loses her mind. She just is like, like screaming, stomping, like just so mad. And Amber, my sister, like my sister is an incredible mom, and so she wasn't just like taking something from Emma for the sake of taking something from Emma. No, she turns around and she says these words out loud. She goes, Emma, that's spoiled milk. She goes, trust me, you don't want that. She takes it away and she's like in the process of like throwing that one in the sink. She grabs her another sippy cup. She opens up the fridge. She grabs the whole milk. She pours it in. She like dials it down and then she's handing it back to Emma. But Emma's over here still like, I wanted the big sippy cup. Like give me the big. And Amber's like, trust me, Emma. Like what I'm offering you, what I'm giving you is like so much better than what you wanted. Y'all ever, like y'all ever sip spoiled milk? You ever done that? Right, like. I legitimately, legit, right? Like I feel like, I feel like I still have like a little like low key PTSD from the last time that this happened to me. Like, you know when you go to pour that like late night bowl of cereal because you're hungry? You know like the late night meal and like, this happened to me a lot more when I was a bachelor. It happens less now that I, like, I live with Paige. Like, she like, throws that kind of stuff out. But when I was a bachelor, it's like you make that whole milk last as long as that whole milk will last, okay? You're like, I'm not going back to the grocery store. And so you pull out that milk and you're like, it's probably fine, right? And like the smell test is kind of like iffy. And then you take that sip Y'all, like, that—it it is the worst thing on planet Earth. Like, spoiled milk is just, especially when it's got, like, the chunks. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's next level. Like, that's next level gross. So my sister, my sister being the loving mom that she is, she's like, Emma, trust me, like, What I have for you is so much better if you'll just trust me. Like, I'm saying no for a reason. I've taken this from you for a reason. But Emma wants what Emma wants, how Emma wants it, when Emma wants it, and I'm sitting there watching this unfold, like not helping, of course, right? I'm sitting there watching this unfold and I had this moment. I sit there and I go. Initially, I'm like, wow. Somebody should really do something about this. And then I'm sitting, there, I'm sitting there in this moment. Boys, we good? Okay. I'm sitting there in this moment, I go like this. Huh. Emma looks a lot like me. And here's what I mean. Hey, I don't throw tantrums anymore, right? Like I, I don't wear pink tutus anymore. Um, but I'm watching this unfold. I'm watching this unfold and I go, dang, this is, this is me and God all the time. God will, God will tell me no to something or I open up his word and there's something that I'm wrestling with and I don't fully understand and I, and I think that, sometimes I'm like, wait God, why did you ask that of us or why is that your command or why do you say no to this? And, and a lot of the times, friends, in my life, I want to do things how I want to do them, when I want to do them, like, like it's just like, I want that freedom to define what I want to define. And I'm watching this scene unfold and I'm like, man, if I trusted God more, if I looked at his word and what he asked of me in my life and I truly believed that his way was better than my way, I don't think, I'm watching this scene going, I feel like Emma. If I trusted God and I leaned into his word more, I think I would struggle less in life with the things that I want that God says no to. And so as we open up our our Bibles tonight, I, I really wanna, again, whether you're brand new to church or you've been at church forever, I wanna take this word sin and I wanna break it down for us tonight. And if you, friends, like if you're here and you're like, I know church, I know my Bible, I've been around forever, here's my challenge for you. Okay, lean in tonight Because I promise you, God's word never comes back empty. It never comes back void. And if you're willing to lean in tonight, my bet is that there will be something that God shows to you or reveals about himself to you tonight that you needed to hear. And if you're brand new to this thing and you came to camp and maybe you're still skeptical of this Bible or skeptical of this God, my challenge is the same, lean in tonight and I wanna invite you into seeing God and seeing the person of Jesus maybe in a way that you've never seen him before. Hey, so John chapter 8, read this with me. John chapter 8, verse 1. Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Hey, pause right there. Look up at me. Hey, in Deuteronomy chapter five, um, God gives us the 10 Commandments, right? Y'all heard of the 10 Commandments before? Hey, Deuteronomy chapter five, God goes, hey, here's, I'm just gonna lay it out for you. I'm gonna lay a foundation for what life is gonna look like under my regime. And he he gives us these 10 commandments. And if you're anything like me, like when I was growing up and I saw like the 10 commandments anywhere, it was like, okay, here we go again. Right, like the Old Testament has all of these commands and all these rules and all these regulations and it felt like God was saying, here's all the things you have to do to get to me. But again, the Bible's not a story about what we have to do to get to God. The Bible is a story about what God has done to get to us. And I love, in Deuteronomy chapter five, y'all know what verse comes right before the 10 commandments? This blows my mind. You know what God does right before he gives his people the 10 commandments? He says this. He says, I am the God, your father, the, fa- the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. I am the God that brought you out of the land of slavery. And then he goes into giving the 10 commandments. Do you want to know why God does this? He's saying this, remember who I am, and if you truly remembered who I am, you wouldn't have any other gods before me. You wouldn't have any idols. You wouldn't take my name in vain. You would honor your father and mother. You know what he's saying? If you trusted me as a good, loving father and your perspective was that of a God who delivered you out of a land of slavery, out of Egypt, then you would understand that when I give you a command, where it's coming from, right? Emma, in this situation where she's stomping around, if she could like have a sober-minded conversation in that moment and remember who her mom is and that her mom loves her, she would have no problem giving up the old sippy cup and receiving the new one, right? But she's all caught up in her emotion. She's all caught up in what she wants, when she wants, how she wants it. And friends, we're the same way, Sin is easily defined as this. Any thought, word, action, or attitude that goes against God's design for life. And so in this story, in John chapter eight, they're saying this woman was caught in adultery. Command number seven of the 10 commandments is you shall not commit adultery. One man, one woman should be married in in a long lasting relationship that as long as that one man and that woman are alive, like marriage is a covenant between one man and one woman. And so adultery is to break that covenant. And so God says, if you know who I am, and you understand the way that I love you, and you understand the way that I delivered you, you wouldn't commit adultery. And so they're trying to catch this woman in the act of adultery, but I want you to see Jesus' response in this moment. Okay, but Jesus bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. okay. I don't know what Jesus is writing, and nobody really knows what Jesus is writing because it's not written in the text, but I, I have a few guesses. And my guess is, right, a bunch of people drag a woman in front of Jesus, and they call, what are they doing? They're looking at her and they're saying, this woman is a sinner. This woman has sinned. And they drag her in front of Jesus and they say, Jesus, she has broken one of the 10 commandments, what are you gonna do about it? And Jesus just bends down. And he starts writing in the sand. And I don't know what he's writing, but my guess is knowing how Jesus taught, knowing that Jesus knew these people that, that had dragged this woman in front of them, I wonder if Jesus was writing just names in the ground and maybe just who they are and what they've done and where they've gone and where they've been. Here's why I think that. Jesus bends down, he starts to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. What is he doing? He's looking at the guys that are accusing this woman of being a sinner, and he says, okay, if any of you are without sin, if any of you have never sinned before, you can be the first one to carry out the law, you can be the first one to condemn her. You can be the first one to throw a stone at her, which would be ultimately to condemn her to death, to execute her. It's says, if any of you are without sin. And here's what happens. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. Why? They've lived more life. They're a little wiser. And maybe, just maybe, they're a little more aware of their own sin. Hey, sin is one of those things that blows my mind. When my nephews and nieces are all together, and again, like my siblings, they're pretty good parents. You know what always blows my mind watching my nephews and nieces play? This last time that we were all together, there's like this huge bin of trucks, and they're all like playing with these trucks. And uh, my nephew Ethan goes over and he grabs a truck, and he's like, "Mm," like playing with it. And then Sebastian walks over, and Sebastian looks at Ethan, and this is Sebastian's house. Ethan's visiting. So Ethan's playing with the truck, "Mm." whole bin of trucks there's like 118 trucks in there right like so many toys Ethan's like "Mm," playing with his truck and Sebastian walks over and he says what mine mine that's mine and I'd like to believe that my siblings are good enough parents that like no one sits their kid down it's like okay Sebastian your cousin Ethan's coming over today and when Ethan comes over and he starts playing with your trucks, even though you have like 118 trucks, I want you to go over. Mm, Sebastian, I love you so much. I want you to go over and I want you to snatch that truck out of his hand. And I want you to say this word, mine. Repeat after me, Mine. Good, good, right? Like, no parent does that, right? Like, no parent teaches their kid how to snatch something out of another kid's hands and say mine, right? Like, that would just be a wicked thing for a parent to do. And so, like, when you're watching this as an adult, when you watch little kids be selfish, when you watch little kids, like, snatch and say mine, it's like, like, where did that come from? I didn't teach them that. Like, Piper's almost two, and sometimes, like, there's things that absolutely blow my mind about her. Like, she's learning the, the word no, and what it means. And so, like, Paige and I were hanging out at a coffee shop the other day, and we're, we're hanging out, and, and there's this, like, spot where there's, it's busier, and there's, like, traffic, and there's more people, and Piper walks over to that spot, and I look at Piper, and I say, Piper, no. Like, I don't want you walking over there, it's dangerous. And I say, Piper, do you understand? She goes, okay, dada, and I'm like, okay, good. And she walks over to the edge of where I said no. And she stands right here and she just looks back at me. And I'm like, Piper, if you, if you cross over that line, you're gonna get in trouble. She goes, okay, dada. And she sits down right at the edge and she's playing right there. And I'm just sitting there with my coffee, just, just me and Paige sitting there watching and I said, Piper, no. She goes, okay, dada. And then walks away. And I'm like, who taught her that? Like, who taught my, who, when I was sleeping, who was like, okay, when your dad says no, just do it anyways. Like, the answer is nobody, like, nobody teaches kids this. It's innate, like, selfishness, the the desire to buck against authority. Like, all of this exists within every single one of us. And so the older ones, they realize really quickly, uh, none of us are without sin. And here's where we find ourselves, Jesus and this crowd of people, one at one, one by one, they all walk away, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, she says, no one, sir. Jesus says, neither then, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Hey, turn back to John chapter three with me. John chapter three. John chapter three, verse 16. You ever heard this one before? Hey, John chapter three, verse 16 says this. If you're there, say preach. preach. Hey, John three sixteen says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son, who's his son? Jesus. Jesus. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Jesus straightened up, looked at the woman and said, where are they? Has no one come to condemn you? And and she says, no one, sir. And then what does he say? He says, then neither do I condemn you. John chapter three, verse 17. Jesus has not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. You ever asked this question before? You ever asked the question, save the world from what? What is like, why is, what is, why do we need saving? What is, what do we need saving from? Hey, keep reading with me. John chapter three, verse 18. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Friends, this is where I believe that every single one of us struggles in some way, shape, or form with we love the darkness more than we love the light. Sin, any thought, word, action, or attitude that fundamentally goes against God's design for life. So if there is a God and he revealed himself through scripture and he sent his one and only son not to come to condemn the world, but to save the world, what do we need saving from? In Genesis chapter three, y'all remember this from day one? You know when sin enters into the picture? You You know what I've always wrestled with personally? I've always wrestled with this how many of you have siblings? Okay. You know, I've always wrestled with this. For me growing up, for me growing up, if I wronged my sibling or if one of my siblings wronged me, my parents would make us sit down. We would have to apologize to each other. And then it was like, Logan, I'm I'm really sorry that I did that. And then my dad would be like, okay, Logan, what do you say? Logan would be like, I forgive you, man. And I'd be like, okay, cool. Are we good? Yeah, hug it out. Awesome. Love you, love you. Moving forward. What what's, I've always struggled with in the Bible is in Genesis chapter three, why couldn't God, why couldn't God when sin entered in the picture just go, hey, no big deal. I forgive you. It's totally fine. Eve, don't listen to the snake next time. She's like, okay, God. He's like, are we good? We're good, okay? I love you. They go, we're sorry, God, and he goes, we're good, it's kosh. And then it just ends right there. No need for the whole Old Testament sacrificial system, no brokenness. Right? Jesus doesn't have to come. He doesn't have to die this brutal death on the cross. Right? Like, none of that would have to happen. Like, why couldn't have God just gone, hey, no big deal? And here's the crazy part, okay? Siblings, where, where are you guys at that have siblings? Okay, so, so Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 says, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world, save the world from what? If, if you have a sibling, okay, and I want you to like stay with me on this one, okay? I need you to track with me, which means, okay, when I say this, don't turn to your partner, don't open your mouth, don't lose your mind, okay? Yes. Okay. If you look at your sibling, and you walk up to them because they upset you, and you just open up your palm, and you go smack across the face, Okay? If you smack your sibling across the face hard. They got the handprint on their face. Okay? And your parents witness this event. You're probably going to get in a world of trouble. I don't know what trouble looks like in your household. I mean, maybe it's something's taken away. Right? They take away your phone. They ground you. You can't go and hang out with your friends. Maybe they take away uh, computer time or an Xbox or a PlayStation, whatever it is. Like, you're probably get, gonna get in a world of trouble in some way, shape, or form. But like, you're gonna get grounded. There's gonna be a punishment, but it probably ends there within your family. Okay? If you in your, are in your school, and again, stick with me on this one. If you're at school, And you got that teacher that just drives you nuts and you look at your palm and you walk up to that teacher and you just go smack. Okay. Here's my bet. I'm not a principal. I'm not a teacher at a school, but here's my bet. My bet is this. My bet is you're probably going to get expelled. Okay, like I don't know what school you go to, maybe it's suspended and they're like, oh yeah, we get a teacher slapped every other week here. I don't know, okay? <laughs> but for the most part, like my guess is, my hunch is at most schools, you're getting expelled for that. Okay, so, so we're seeing a pattern here. If you slap your sibling, somebody who's kind of on your same level, right? Like it stays within your family, there's, there's discipline, there's a punishment, but it probably stays there. Maybe you have to say sorry to your sibling, there's a forgiveness, there's a transaction that goes there. Now, if you do it to an authority figure like a teacher, It's not just within your family anymore. You're getting expelled from that school. There's a greater consequence. Hey, in the state of California, if you walk up to a policeman or a policewoman and you open up your palm and you look at your palm and you walk over to a cop and you just smack a a policeman across the face. Do you know what happens in the state of California? You get arrested on spot and for assault of a police officer in the state of California is a minimum, minimum one year in jail and a, anywhere between a three and $5,000 fine, okay? So you go, okay, siblings, you're probably gonna get in trouble. Teacher, greater consequence, okay? You're, you're gonna get expelled from your school. Cop, you're actually gonna go to jail. Like there's gonna be money that's exchanged here, okay? If you walk up to, um, a, a political figure in the st- in a country of the United States of America. A senator, a congressman, the president of the United States of America. Stay with me. Stay with me. Remember day one when I said I was gonna treat you like adults? Okay? This is the moment where I'm expecting that transaction to happen, okay? The people that look at me and they're like, you're teaching at a junior high camp? And I go, yes. And they go, don't use that analogy, you'll lose them. Okay? This is where I'm gonna go, Help me prove them wrong, okay? I want you to understand this because I think it's pivotal to understanding your Bible. Okay, so, so track with me here. I'm gonna treat you like an adult. I'm not gonna dumb it down. I'm not gonna go, listen, listen, boys and girls, okay? Th- there's this thing called sin. Can you say sin? And you go, sin, right? Okay, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that, okay? I'm gonna treat you like adults But my commitment to you was to treat you like adults, and your commitment to me was to lean in. Okay, so this is the moment where I'm gonna go, hey, lean in with me. If you walk up to a political figure, congressman, senator, president of the United States, and you get close enough to assault this person, in the the United States of America, that's punishable by a minimum, bare minimum, which means it could be a lot more than this. Bare minimum, five years in federal prison and a $250,000 fine, okay? We gotta track here. Do you understand this, do you get this? If you walk up to a peer, your sibling, and you smack them, that consequence stays here. If you go to a teacher, there's a greater consequence. Cop, greater consequence. The, The more you go up on this scale of authority figure, there's a greater and greater consequence and a penalty that must be paid in order for justice to be enacted. Do you understand that? Does that make sense? Okay, so the President of the United States, a Congressman, a Senator, If you go the God of the universe, which is a hundred, a thousand times greater, a million times greater in authority, and you, you commit an offense against the God of the universe in order for there to be justice, when you and I commit cosmic treason, there must be a penalty for this. Do we get that? Do we track with that? So you and I, as sixth graders, as seventh graders, as eighth graders, when we have sin in our lives, which my guess is, my bet is, if I somehow had a machine, like some sort of thing that I could could walk up and I could connect some sort of machine and I could go like McKinley, right? McKinley, I could connect the machine to McKinley's head and we could just like project onto this screen up here every thought, word, action, or attitude that McKinley's had over the last month, okay? My guess is, my guess is that none of us would volunteer for that. We'd go like, ooh, project mine, right? Like our thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes, they, they oppose the God of the universe's design for our life. We all have this sin that's present in our life. And so in John chapter three, we see that Jesus says, I don't come into the world to condemn the world. I come into the world to save the world. But why do we need saving? Because every single one of us has a sin problem. Okay, go back, flip back to John chapter eight, and this is where we're gonna finish. Hey, John chapter eight, right after the scene that we just saw, Jesus gets in this conversation with the Pharisees, the purebred dogs. And in John chapter eight, the Pharisees challenge Jesus. And Jesus answers their challenge by saying this. He says, if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. Okay? Pause right there, look up at me. Jesus looks at the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and he goes, you judge by human standards. See, here's what I think that you and I struggle with. I think it's really easy for us to look around the room and to, and to look, and go look at my life and maybe the sin that's present and go like, well, I'm, I'm not that bad. I work with high school students back down in San Diego and I love asking this question to every one of my high school students. I can say, are you a good person? And do you know what I hear 99% of the time? Yeah, I'm a pretty good person. And do you wanna know why? It's because most of, most of us, we look around us and we compare the, to the people around us when it comes to the sin and brokenness in our life. And we can always find somebody that's worse than us. We can always find somebody that's, that's walking, that's in our schools, or that's maybe even in our own youth group, or that's up here at Camping Goal. Well, I'm not doing that. Well, I'm not as bad as that. Well, I'm not as bad as this person. And we judge by human standards. And I love that Jesus enters into this conversation with the purebreds. And he goes, you, when it comes to sin, you're judging by human standards. But I don't judge by human standards. And when I was a freshman in high school, I was about five foot two, like 100 pounds. Hey, I was like this teensy tiny freshman in high school. I didn't, I didn't uh, hit my growth spurt till like the end of high school, beginning of college. And so I grew like legitimately, I grew like a foot In three inches from the moment I entered into high school until when I finished college. Okay, ouch. And so there was so much of um, theme parks when we would come back into the U.S. We would go to all these theme parks, and I remember being in like elementary school and junior high and going up to like the really big roller coasters, and they had the like "you must be this tall to ride" stuff, and I remember walking up to those suckers and going like like trying to just measure up to these, you must be this taller, because I wanted to go on these big roller coasters, but I was, I was like teensy tiny. I was always too small for it. And, I, and when, it, when, when you see those, you must be this taller ride, like that's the standard. That becomes like, in order to ride this ride, you must be this tall. And you can measure up to whether or not you can ride based on, you can literally walk up to it and go like, am I good enough? Am I tall enough? Am I large enough to ride this? And the person operating the ride can go, yes, or no okay I want to help us understand this okay so um Nolan can you come up here real quick my man and then Bobby my man Bobby can you come down here for me <laughs> this guy do you guys see Nolan's shoe choice tonight it's great okay all right Nolan um Nolan how tall are you Four foot nine, my man, okay? Bobby, how tall are you? Six three. Six three, okay. So four nine, six three, what is that? A foot six inches, okay, is my my math right? Okay, so if, if heaven had a you must be this tall to ride sign, okay? I'm sorry, Nolan, okay? If heaven had a you must be this tall to ride sign and it was like sitting solid at six feet, okay? And it was like about right here. It said you must be this tall to get into heaven. Nolan, Nolan would walk up to the you must be this tall to get into heaven sign and go, I am not close. I, in fact, I'm, I'm very far away. Bobby would walk up to the you must be this tall to get into heaven sign at six foot and be like, three inches over baby, like not, like no problem. Which do you know what this allows them to do? This allows Bobby to look at Nolan and go, what's up, pipsqueak, right? like." <laughs> Easy, easy money, right? It's, that's not a difficult comparison if the comparison is six foot three to four foot nine. Hey, anybody ever been to the Empire State Building? Okay, okay. the Empire State Building is 1,454 feet to the very tippy top of the Empire State Building. I want you to, I want you to just imagine real quick that the you must be this tall to ride to get into heaven, the like, the you must be this tall is at the very, very top of the Empire State Building. If you put the sign at the top of the Empire State Building and Bobby, who towers one foot six inches over Nolan, walks up to the Empire State Building and he puts his back against the Empire State Building and goes, Am I close? We would all look at Bobby and be like, Bro, like, no. Like, you're, you're so far away. Like, no, you're not even... And, and imagine, imagine how ridiculous would this be. It'd be ridiculous, first of all, if Bobby walked up to the Empire State Building and even tried to measure in the first place. We would all be like, Bobby, what are you doing? Okay, but if Bobby then walked up to the Empire State Building and was like, look how much closer I am to the top than Nolan. We would all go, Bobby, it's 1,454 feet in the air and you're one foot six inches closer Congratulations, right? Like, nobody cares, Bobby. Like, you're not that much closer. If, if the standard, if the standard is 1,454 feet, friends, what difference does one foot six inches make? Nothing, they, the, the very clear answer, the very clear answer is you're both not close. You're both very far off. Y'all can take a seat. Thank you, Nolan. Thank you, Bobby. Here's here's what I want us to see. Hey, okay, here's what I, here's what I want us to understand. When you and I, when we waste our time, when it comes to the sin and brokenness and the offenses that we have against God, whether you're sitting here and you go, I know crystal clear that I am a sinner, that I have brokenness, the addictions that are present in my life, The, the things that I do, the way that I talk, the way that I treat my parents, my internet history, whatever it is, if you're sitting here going, I know very clearly, I know very clearly the brokenness that exists in my life, and you feel like you're a far way off, you're like, me and God, we're not good if that's really obvious to you, or maybe you're sitting here going, I, I'm really not that bad. Like, I'm a church kid. I'm, I'm pretty good. Friends, can I just make something crystal clear? When it comes to God, when it comes to God, his standard is perfection. He is set apart He designed and created this world in perfection. And when sin entered into the picture, it created a fracture between those two, between us and him. And his standard of perfection, imagine it's at the top of the Empire State Building. And if you say, I'm not that bad because you're comparing yourself to the people around you, or I'm such a bad person because you're comparing yourself to the people around you, friends, can we just get something clear? Whether you're really bad or not that bad, neither one of you is perfect. And the crystal clear answer is when we look at perfection, we go, I'm not close. I have a sin problem. There's brokenness that exists within me. John chapter three, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not be condemned, but shall have eternal life with him. What are we saved from? I didn't come into this world to condemn. I came to save. What are we saved from? We're saved from the fact that we deeply, desperately need a savior because of the sin present in your life. And tonight, as you sit in this chapel, my hope is that we can start having this conversation a little bit about if there's a God and he revealed himself through his word and gave us his son, Jesus, where do I stand? And the answer is, without Jesus... You're stuck in your sin, a thousand whatever feet short of his perfect standard. Every single one of us has a sin problem. What are we going to do with that? And we're going to pick up this conversation a little bit tomorrow. But I want us to first and foremost sit and hopefully process a little bit tonight of going, where do I stand? What's, what am I walking through? What am I, what's going on in my life? And start to process a little bit about the, the thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes that exist in your life that go against God's design. Hey, pray with me. God, thank you for tonight. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to come into this chapel and be real. God, my, my prayer tonight is that as 6th graders, as 7th graders, as 8th graders, that we would begin to process and understand and realize how much we need a Savior. How much we are like Emma, God, that just so often because it would go kicking and screaming because we want what we want, when we want it, how we want it. God, may we not compare by human standards tonight and look around us to see, am I, how am I doing? Am I good or am I not good, God? But we look at your standard of perfection and understand and know that we are in deep, deep need of a Savior. We love you. Thanks for loving us first. It's your name we pray.